Over the last couple of weeks, I have had the privilege of traveling to do some ministry with our denomination. CPC is part of a denomination called ECO. We're a Presbyterian denomination. We have different presbyteries, groups of churches around the country. One of those wanted me to come and visit and speak, so I had a chance to fly to Ohio and speak with those churches and leaders. And then PD and I flew down to Texas uh, for some overall kind of uh, national Presbytery leadership meetings, and then I came back. And it was a bit of a whirlwind trip, but it was so encouraging to hear what is happening in the life of our denomination and the ways that we have brother and sister, we have sister churches all around the country that are doing amazing work to make disciples of Jesus. Going into this trip, I knew I needed to prepare significantly. I had multiple cities I was going to, different things that I needed to be doing. And when you have small children, it also just takes a little extra work to get them prepared to leave. And yet going into this trip, I went into it feeling pretty excited And I felt like I had mostly checked off everything on the list that I needed to do. My bags were packed pretty well. I got to the airport on time. My plane was on time. My first flight was from Minneapolis to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne is kind of a smaller airport, so I knew I would be on a smaller plane. I got on the plane, got buckled in. The flight took off and everything was great until about 20 minutes into the flight when the pilot came on overhead and said, you know, the message of we're experiencing some unexpected rough air. Please stay in your seats and keep your seatbelts fastened. So we did that. And for the following 45 minutes, we proceeded to get tossed, tossed through the air um, on this airplane. I, uh, I at one point looked out my window and I could see the wing. It looked like it was flapping. Like it looked like it was a bird that was flapping through the air. The wing stayed on. I actually had a question. I was like, is that going to stay attached? It stayed attached. Um, but I sat on this plane and the only thing that I could do was to hold on to the armrests as though I were suspending myself in the air by holding on to the armrests for 45 minutes. That is what I did as our plane really was blown about and then finally landed. What had started off as a pretty smooth day, I was pretty excited about what was coming up, went into what felt like a pretty dark valley that was something that I simply couldn't control. What we know is that as we live our day-to-day lives, unexpected things simply happen that we can't necessarily control, and yet there is deep hope. What we are going to be talking about today is how we, as believers, walk through our day-to-day lives knowing that sometimes life feels like we're on an even plane and then all of a sudden we can be in a valley, and what it looks like for us to be people of disciplined hope in the midst of valleys. We've been walking through Psalm 23, and every week we've been reciting it together. We're reciting it in the NIV, the New International Version, so it may be different if you memorized it as a child. It's a little different version, but I'm gonna invite you to stand, and let's recite Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Each week we've been walking through this sermon series, going uh, very slowly through this passage, sometimes doing just one verse or doing part of a verse. And today we are in just part of verse four, which is, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Okay, the answer to why he will fear no evil is held in the last part of this verse. The line is, for you are with me. That's the answer for why he will fear no evil. But that truth, that idea that the sovereign God who is over all things would draw so near to us that he would be with us in our suffering, that is such a profound theological concept. We are doing a whole sermon series on For You Are With Me next week. And Petey will be preaching that. So we invite you to come back uh, for that sermon. But there is another source of hope in the midst of Psalm 23 as a whole. David, the author of the Psalm, says that there is something that sustains him when he's walking through the darkest valleys. And at the end of Psalm 23, he proclaims, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the hope and the promise that we have in Psalm 23. We may be in a dark valley, but goodness and mercy are following us and we have a destination. There is a hope that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The fundamental truth at the heart of this passage is that the deepest darkness will become light when our hope is in Christ. If you memorized Psalm 23 as a child in that King James Version, this verse may have been the one that tripped you up the most this morning. It is very different in the King James Version versus our New International Version. Our version says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. The King James says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. These are very different. A dark valley versus a valley of the shadow of death. When we come across different translations like this, and they're, they're very different from each other, this is an invitation for us to ask why and to go a little deeper in the text. At the heart of our passage today is this Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is tzalmavet. Can you say that with me? Tzalmavet. Tzalmavet is kind of an enigmatic word. It is uh, used throughout the Old Testament, but it's translated kind of differently. Uh, Tzalmavet can mean a deep shadow. It could mean a deep darkness, like the kind where you can't see your hand in front of you. It can also mean a death shadow, which I don't think really has a contemporary translation. I was processing this with my husband. I said, what is a death shadow? And he said, it sounds like it could be a horror movie, like Death Shadow 5 coming out this October. (laughs) But at the heart of this Tzalmavet word is this concept of deep, deep darkness and therefore vulnerability. 
risk, the possibility of harm because of darkness. Now, often what we do with this passage is that we go to it when we are in our deepest valleys, when we're hurting the most or when things feel darkest. I have officiated many, many memorial services here at CBC, and in almost half of them, families have requested to have Psalm 23 read because when we are grieving and when we've experienced loss, that often really is the darkest valley that we walk through. And so we can cling to this passage to remind us that God is with us and that there is hope ahead of us. But the great theologian Dallas Willard actually broadened this passage out to be even more applicable to our everyday lives. He translated this saying, even though I go through loss, hunger, disease, aging, and death, I will fear no evil. Because the truth is that we can encounter darkness and vulnerability at many points throughout our days and throughout our weeks. I did not anticipate the uh, tumultuous experience that I had on the airplane. I couldn't have planned that. And yet I went from having a very steady level day to all of a sudden being in what felt like a valley. And so this translation prompts us to ask the question, what do we fill in the blank for that darkest valley? What is that darkest valley for us even in this season? Now, this may be something that you've been carrying with you for a long time, or it may be something that you have just recently encountered. But as I thought about this, if we fill in the blank, even though I walk through what, I will fear no evil. I know in some of my conversations with our congregation, we could fill it in this blank with, even though I walk through anxiety, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through an unknown future, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through divorce, even though I walk through loss or job change or what, what is it for you? Even though I walk through, I will fear no evil. Now this idea that in our day-to-day lives, we may be encountering these valleys, this actually was true for even how this passage was written. When David was writing, the uh, area around him would have been one in which he would encounter valleys. There are two reasons why uh, someone would have encountered valleys in the ancient world when this was written. The first is that in actually like the geographical landscape of that, of that place, there are four significant valleys in the ancient Levant. And so sometimes it was just simply unavoidable. In the same way that I was sitting in my airplane seat, clinging to my armrest, and I could do nothing, I could do nothing about the turbulence that we were experiencing, sometimes people would just all of a sudden encounter a valley and there was nothing they could do. The other reason why someone could encounter a valley in the ancient world is that it seems strategic. It may have been the easier path. It may have felt like a shortcut, and then all of a sudden they realized that they were in deeper darkness than they anticipated. I could have driven to Ohio. I didn't have to get on an airplane and fly there. I didn't want to drive there. It would have taken a lot longer. I had no interest in doing that. But I made the choice to put myself into a small aluminum can and get lofted up into the sky. And then what happened is I got kind of, you know, batted around for about 45 minutes. I chose that because it was the more strategic option. And when we think about our day-to-day valleys, 
Sometimes they are simply unavoidable. We get a phone call or a text message that gives us news that we simply couldn't have prepared ourselves for. Sometimes, though, we actually end up contributing to us getting ourselves into those valleys. And no matter what, we have to ask the question of how God is accompanying you through it and where your hope truly is. For David, as he was writing this, there were passages throughout Scripture and truths throughout Scripture that reminded him of the real hope that we have when we follow God. There are some incredible prophecies about the future that God has in which he will redeem all things and make all things right. And in one of these prophecies, he actually specifically speaks to valleys and what happens to the valleys in our lives. In Isaiah 40, verses four and five, we read, every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the future hope that we have, that whatever valley you named to yourself this morning, that it actually will be be leveled. It will be raised up. And because it's raised up, there will no longer be powers and forces surrounding you. God's light will shine upon you. What feels dark will become light. This is something that God has set, set forth and actually reaffirmed over and over again in scripture that he has good plans for restoring all things and that our darkness and our valleys will not last forever. Our hope in this passage is that God is with us, but it is also that we are called to be a people of disciplined hope, knowing that God will raise up the valleys. Jesus himself walked through valleys before his crucifixion. He walked through one of the deepest valleys that we could ever imagine. This is in Mark 14, verses 32 through 36. We read, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus here is in the deepest valley that we could ever imagine as he anticipates and knows that his crucifixion is coming. And in this moment, he prays for circumstantial relief. He asks that God would take the cup from him, that the hour may pass from him, and he may not have to go through that suffering. But did you catch the final line that he said? Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the ultimate phrase of trust, of him saying that he knows God is good and he will carry him through this time. Jesus's hope is in the God who would raise him from the dead. The reason Jesus was able to walk through the scorn, pain, and brutality of the cross, the darkest valley that we can ever imagine, was because of his own living hope 
in the resurrection power of God. Jesus knew that the crucifixion wasn't the end, that it was part of the valley, that, he, that God would go with him through it, and that God would resurrect him from the dead. God would have the final word. As we are walking through our valleys, be they day-to-day valleys or life-altering valleys, we are called to have this same hope. Now, when we talk about having deep, abiding hope that looks ahead toward God's restoration, that promises and hopes and knows that God will restore all things, this is not a kind of hope that is just like a surface optimism. This is not um, a positivity, like a toxic, positive, everything's okay, we're gonna be fine, let's just get through this kind of positivity. Our hope also is not in uh, the idea that God will change our circumstances and get us out, out of the valley like airlift us out of the hard times that we're going through. Our hope is an eternal hope. Our hope is a real lived hope that God will make all things new one day. The true hope that we have is in the future that God has promised us that this valley, whatever it is, it's not gonna last forever. Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest and she summarized this hope by saying, we have hope because our Lord has promised that he is preparing a place for us We are waiting, but we will make it home. We are waiting, but we will make it home. When we are in valleys, we cannot control the circumstances around us. We are vulnerable. We are at risk, and yet we have a shepherd who is with us and who has promised us that there is a hope that he will restore all things. And so we, as believers, what we can do in the midst of this is practice disciplines of hope. Hope is something that grows over time. It's not something that's like just static. It's not something ephemeral. Hope is something that we can actually grow and cultivate in our lives. And there are practices that we can take on to become people of greater hope. The first thing that we can do is to immerse ourselves in scripture. Immerse ourselves in the word of God because that is where God reminds us of who we are, who God is, how he made this world and what he is going to do. This is how we stay rooted in God's promises. Some of my favorite um, stories of the heroes of the faith, some of my favorite stories are about how God used scripture to give them ultimate everlasting hope and to remind them of who he is. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch Holocaust survivor. And in her autobiography, she talks about how she and her sister snuck an old tattered Bible into their dormitory at Ravensbrück concentration camp. They snuck this Bible in and every single night they had a prayer service where they would read scripture with the other women who were in one of the greatest places of suffering the world has known. And yet she writes, describing that time of reading scripture with them by saying, like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about that Bible holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. More than conquerors. It was not a wish. It was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it. Poor, hated, and hungry, we are more than conquerors. Not we shall be. We are 
the word of God reminded them of who their identity was found in, that God was the one who would carry them through and that he is a God of true and everlasting hope in the midst of a valley that we can't even imagine. They saw the hope of who God was. Scripture grows in us this discipline of hope by keeping us rooted in the power of God. The second thing that we can do to be people of disciplined hope, this is a reminder actually from Tim Keller. He says that when we are walking through deep valleys, one of the best questions that we can ask ourselves is, what is one loving kindness I can practice in the midst of my circumstance? What can often happen when we are in deep valleys is that we can start to get stuck. Like it can be hard to keep moving forward or to keep our eyes fixed on that light. And so we can start to feel like there's nothing that we can do to shine light. Like things are so powerless. We are so weak that there's nothing that we can do. But by asking this question, what is one loving kindness that we can do? We can become people who shine light in the midst of our valleys. The last thing that we can do is to remember the hope of the resurrection. I don't know that this is something that we naturally do all that often, actually. Like we remind ourselves that we worship a God through whom Jesus died and then was raised to new life. And therefore we are people who get to experience new and resurrected life and that that is our true hope. But that is a disciplined practice that we can do to remind us of where our eyes are meant to be fixed. When I was on that airplane, experiencing that turbulence from Minneapolis to Fort Wayne, there was a line that kept running through my mind over and over again. And this is a line from an evening prayer that I often pray. I use an app called Lectio 365. It's just a great devotional app. But there's a prayer that I pray in the evening and the final line from that prayer just kind of kept echoing over and over as I was experiencing this fear of being on that plane. I'm gonna read the whole prayer for you. It says, God of all seasons, the sun has set, the night has gathered in. My soul sinks slowly into your rest, trusting now in the resurrection to come. Trusting now in the resurrection to come. Trusting now in the resurrection to come. This was the hope that continued to ground me and root me. This is the hope that keeps our eyes fixed forward on who God is, on what he will do. We are called to be people, and my hope is that we could be a people who in the midst of our valleys, be they personal valleys or however you are experiencing them, that we would be people who practice disciplined hope. And because of that, we are able to shine new light the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who raises up valleys. We thank you that you are a God who goes with us in all of our circumstances. And we know, Lord, that you have a good and true promise for us. Lord, as we step into a new week, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be grounding us in you and the light that you have for us and that we may slowly become people of even more disciplined hope, that we would know that you are a God who will redeem all things. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.